0: You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show, the Let Me Be Frank podcast network. I'm going to start out this week talking about Duke. Started the season clear cut number one, and there has been just a lot of drama ever since. Most recently, uh, not too long before we started recording, Coach K announced today he was banning all the players from the locker room and not allowing them to wear Duke apparel. This just following a pretty embarrassing home loss to Dennis Smith Jr. and really nobody else on NC State. Uh, so, yeah. your thoughts on this, this whole debacle
1: for Duke? It, once Coach K announced his like one month off or two months off, whatever it was, this, you had to know this was going to be a circus. Especially after the indefinite suspension of Grayson Allen lasted a single game. It's gone from weird to ridiculous to just flat out. I don't care anymore, but because we do this, we have to care. You know, this is the, the cyclical nature of it where you can't get out of it. So it's ridiculous. It's it's more. It's almost Duke trying to grab attention and like shy it away from the fact that they have been nothing but a massive disappointment this season Yes, they've had injuries. Yes, they've had suspensions. Sure, Coach K isn't there, and Jeff Capel surely is not the same pedigree of coach as Shashevsky. But look at the talent on the roster. Just play the damn game, you know. It's it shouldn't be this hard. Just get in the game, stay healthy, and even if you can't, you've got enough talent on that roster that should be able to beat teams like North Carolina State.
0: Yes, you, you would think that, and I would think that, um, but I mean, Duke has one top 40 win to this point, and that's over Florida non-conference. All of the quality teams in the ACC they've played and lost to there's um, a little bit of a stay woke. Uh, this, this whole situation with Coach K stepping away, I understand there might be some underlying medical reasons for it, but part of it kind of seemed like a way to give Jeff Capel, an audition to possibly get the full-time job once Coach K retires, if he ever does. And boy, has he blown that chance. By God. Like you said, so much talent on this roster. Um, It took a miraculous second-half run to come back and beat Miami, which is admittedly their second-biggest win of the season. Um, And then losing again To NC State, the game they absolutely should have won. For some reason, not starting Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard, two of the best players on your roster, um, according to performance this season. And I mean, just the whole situation seems chaotic. And of course, you know, at the end of all this, they're still going to give Duke at worst like a four seed um, because they're just going to kind of throw out all the games that Coach K wasn't there uh, coaching at. I mean, they definitely have the talent to turn it around, but it's extremely head scratching why they're still having these kind of struggles in late January.
1: Right, and Jeff Capel, uh, <laughs> poor—I I don't really want to say poor guy because he's had all the chances and opportunities in the world that people would kill for, and he's literally squandered it in the matter of what three games? How He's coached five, I think, total, and he's two and three overall he he's just been nothing short of disappointing if i mean it's it's good for duke i guess that they can look ahead and say like well we're going to have coach k on the sideline until he eventually has a heart attack or something because he's not going to leave at this point until he can find a suitable replacement i'm sure they will but going back to the what you said about the uh, tournament committee it's the most ridiculous thing in the world that they're just going to take away the fact that or they're they're not going to look at these games and say oh well coach k wasn't there so it's a different team like look at any other team in the country that has an injury and say well their best player wasn't there so you've got to you know take it with a grain you just look at it completely differently it's ridiculous and if it wasn't duke this would not be happening if Roy Williams took a step away, I bet you Carolina would still be playing the same way they are and not get any benefit of the doubt for that. If it was Indiana and Tom Crean had to step away, if it was any good team, if it was uh, maybe Izzo would get it. But Coach K and Izzo are the only two I could really see people saying like, oh, you know what? Well, it's it's different. We should take into account that they weren't there to coach them up. I cannot believe when they said it. I was so disappointed, but this is not the first nor will it be the last time the tournament committee disappoints me, as you will hear later on in the show.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. Jeff Capel is not a very good coach to begin with, um, just based on his track record. And of course, we're seeing it here now. Personally, if if we did have to pick an assistant off of Coach Cade's bench to eventually replace him, obviously Collins and Wojo. Longtime assistants left to take their own Power Six uh, head coaching jobs before Coach K retired. I'd love to see John Shire get a crack at it, um, if not at Duke, because that would be a ton of pressure for a very first job. Uh, somewhere down the road, um, but that's that's a thought for
1: another day. Uh, so yeah, hell, even Nolan Smith's on that on that <laughs> oh, staff. He really? He'd be fun to watch too. Yeah.
0: So. That was the big story on Monday night, was MC State knocking off Duke at Cameron Indoor. Then Tuesday happens, and the initial big story was Louisville beating Pitt by 55. Um, So, maybe Kevin Stallings isn't the answer. Um, But after that, three of the top four teams in the country went down. Started off, uh, I guess we'll just go chronologically, uh, Kansas, Winners of 18 straight since dropping the season opener, in, ugh, opener to Indiana, uh, fell to West Virginia by 16 in Morgantown. Kind of makes the uh, the Big 12 race a little more interesting now. But it, I mean, West Virginia just has Kansas's number.
1: It's fitting that. Kansas would go and lose the first game after our last show because we talked about how simple and how much of a cakewalk it was for them to win the Big Twelve title. Now, sure enough, they go out and drop the very first game they play. Granted, they—I mean, Morgantown is a very tough place to play. West Virginia is a tough team, despite losing to Texas Tech and Kansas State back to back. I think it was uh, as as uh, one of our colleagues and fellow blogger Mordecai pointed out bob huggins does have a piece in his contract that states every win over kansas he gets twenty five thousand dollars and i believe that's his fourth win over kansas uh four in a row in morgantown i think which is a hundred thousand dollars for winning four total games i totally understand it and it makes sense but that is some unbelievable clause to have in your contract He may as well Mm -hmm. just play them in Morgantown every time he can because he's just going to keep winning the games. I mean, this one wasn't even that close. There was a point in time, what was it, like seven minutes left where Devontae Graham hit a three to tie it or bring him within one, and then West Virginia just went on a run. Kansas could not seem to find a bucket, and all of a sudden, they were turning the ball over, and West Virginia couldn't miss. So, At the end of the game, it really felt like it could blow out to 25 or 30 points, but obviously time did not permit.
0: Yeah, and, and Kansas didn't really struggle with the pressure as much as most teams do against West Virginia. They only turned it over 13 times, still had a positive assist to turnover ratio. Um, they really lost the game on the glass and at the free throw line. Is usually when you're shooting better from three point line than you are from the charity stripe, it's usually not a good sign. And that's exactly what happened. Kansas only shot 40% from the foul line. Um, they shot eight fewer free throws than West Virginia and they made thirteen fewer. Um so that was almost the entire margin right there. Sounds and... like
1: a seed Hall game right there. <laughs> well
0: part part of that is uh Kansas's propensity to foul in general. Um part of that in the especially late part of the game was just them um, desperately trying to get back into it, but I mean, if anything, this, this kind of proves Kansas's mortality. had had a pretty favorable Big Twelve schedule up to this point. Now they're getting the two other "quote unquote" heavyweights back to back. It's West Virginia, and then Baylor, sandwiched around a not easy non-conference game at Kentucky, either. So, I mean, this is it's really a season-defining stretch. We kind of see if if Kansas is the type of team that that we've made them
1: out to be. Yeah, this one from the potential of Kansas just flexing their muscle and proving how awesome they are this year to is Kansas really that good? So, I mean, one game can make a difference. <laughs> Obviously, you did not want to drop that game at West Virginia going to Rupp Arena to play Kentucky. But I guess the only solace in that is that Kentucky just lost as well. So, it should be an interesting game, but my bet would be that if they drop this one to Kentucky, they'll blow out Baylor at home. I don't see any way they can lose that one without Bill Self just annihilating somebody.
0: Yeah, and let's let's talk about that Kentucky upset. Uh, losing to Rick Barnes, of all people, uh, in Tennessee, 82-80. Got pretty close at the end there. Not really indicative of you know, Tennessee's performance because this was a game probably about midway through the first half. They started to pull away a little bit and then pretty much led for the entire second half of varying margins. Uh, Robert Hubbs, the third leading the way with 25, uh, really shouldered the load for Tennessee offensively. Uh, Williams down low held his own against uh, Bam Adebayo who had a Phenomenal game of his own. Tennessee was able to limit Malik Monk's perimeter looks. Uh, he forced a lot of bad threes as he is sometimes want to do. And I mean, I I really didn't see a way that Kentucky was going to lose this year in the SEC after how they pretty comfortably handled South Carolina, but. It happened.
1: It's, it's, I mean, it was a trap game to say the least. I did not think Tennessee had the talent to do this. I just, I mean, again, it goes back to us talking about how quiet the SEC is this year and will be for the rest of the year. This is not a tournament bound Tennessee team. This is a lucky if they're an NIT team at this point. Obviously, a great win for them. I just, you know, there. You look at it. There's no way in hell that this team is going to win this game. You play ten times. This is probably the only win that Tennessee gets. The biggest story is Gabriel. Gabriel had the ability. He scored two points. He went one of six from the field, 0 of three from three, and then you get four total points off your bench. Yeah, I mean, yes, they've got talent in the starting five, and usually, I would say, usually they don't really need much help off the bench to win games, especially in the SEC against lower tier teams like Tennessee. But when you're in a close game, you need anything and everything you can get specifically from your bench to spell those starters, especially when Bam Adebayo is doing everything in his power to win the game. And Malik Monk, despite shooting three of 13 from three, I think it was, still had 25 points. So, I mean, they got production. It was just the defense couldn't hold and they at the end they couldn't couldn't find a way to get any production from their bench.
0: Just not very efficient offense. And as I said a couple weeks ago um, in my everyone good is bad column, Kentucky is not a good outside shooting team outside of Monk and Briscoe, but Briscoe doesn't really shoot threes that much. So when a night like this happens, Monk goes 3 of 13. They shot 25% on threes as a team. They took 24 of them, so they just kept shooting. You settle for for jump shots as much as they did, and it was clear that Bam Adebayo had such an advantage on the interior, um, and he only ended up taking eight shots, made seven of them. But that was definitely somewhere where Kentucky had a clear advantage, especially when the shots weren't falling from the outside. Didn't really seem like too much of an adjustment was made. So, I mean, that's kind of the way you have to defend Kentucky take away Malik Monk because um, he, especially in the second half late in the game, you know he's going to take a three just about every time he touches it. So if you take away that option, I don't know if Kentucky has figured out how to have somebody else on that roster win games for him.
1: Right. You, I, you essentially just have to make them shoot the ball. As long as it's not Malik Monk and you don't let him get going, keep someone right in his face and let everyone else shoot the ball, you're, you're pretty set. I'd say defensively. Obviously, you got to box out because they have some athletes that can go up and get some rebounds. But outside of that, they're just such. It's so weird because they're such a bad jump shooting team this year.
0: Yeah, I I mean, at least last year um, Tyler Ulis could shoot as well. It wasn't all falling on Jamal Murray, um, as you know it is this year. But I mean, Darren Fox made a couple triples, but he's usually not somebody you can look to to shoot and yeah i mean kentucky's advantage is always going to be on the interior or if malik monk has a game like he did against north carolina that's about right. it
1: which which you can't necessarily bank on yeah. ever
0: uh, so the final of the three big upsets basically number 1 villanova going down to marquette after leading by 17, um, which is a little nuts, but yeah, quite the week for Marquette. They uh, they beat Creighton last week, dropped 102 on the Blue Jays when Creighton was still in the top 10, and following that up with a win over number one Villanova, and you know, fairly under the radar Marquette team, I'd say, but. You know, right now, they're a, they're a rock-solid tournament team. Lojo's doing a, a pretty good job up there.
1: It's incredible because two and a half, three weeks ago, people were wondering if he was the right guy for the job. They just announced that guard Tracy Carter was transferring, which was, I believe, his eighth or ninth transfer in two or three years. They're, they had injuries and transfers, which forced them down to eight total scholarship players. They blew a seven-point lead at my Seton Hall Pirates to lose. They lost pretty handily at Villanova, and then blew another ten or twelve-point lead with about a minute and a half to go against Seton Hall and went to overtime. Managed to pull that one out despite Luke Fisher fouling out. Uh, in in a game that I would I will gladly say has turned their season around completely because they come off of that game, blow out a bad DePaul team, take Butler at Hinkle to the wire, and then. Just drop a hundred and two on a Creighton, Sands, Mo Watson, and then beat Nova. And you could have told me three weeks ago that or after I guess after Seton Hall beat Marquette at home that they would beat Villanova and I would have said there's no way in hell because I don't I didn't see a way Seton Hall would lose to him. They were playing him ten days later, I couldn't see a single way they were going to lose to him. And Seton Hall isn't even a good team this year. But it's I I I feel like I say this every week, and I do, but it's crazy what confidence can do for you. And Marquette is playing unbelievably confident basketball right now. They didn't have, they didn't even have their point guard Marcus Howard, freshman. He he had seven total minutes as he fouled out, but the bench came up huge with Dwayne Wilson and Reinhardt, nineteen and eleven points each. Uh, towards the end, it was just Villanova couldn't make a shot and. That that's as simple as it gets. It's weird to think that the reigning national champ, with so much talent on the roster, such a great coach, and a team that's really just been there before, couldn't hold on to a game like this. And they've played in much more difficult environments than the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. You know, uh, I mean, a big part of it's obviously Chris Jenkins going 0 of seven from the field and taking six threes. Not ideal when your center or power forward is shooting six times from the outside. Although he can stroke it, but I mean, you gotta you gotta actually play inside the paint if you want to win games. And this is what we've seen before from Villanova is they just get way too three point happy, and all of a sudden games catch up to them.
0: I mean, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, We we've seen this before against DePaul's same way that game almost slipped away from them. They just. They settle for jump shot. 6 for 34 for threes in this game. You mentioned Jenkins 0 for 6. Brunson 0 for 5. DiVincenzo 0 for 6. Um, Obviously not ideal and really wasted a pretty good defensive effort in shutting down the, the starters not named Luke Fisher, former IU player for like two months.
1: Good times, and, uh, and those are three guys that are more than capable of driving to the basket and scoring. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's almost their better part of their game, especially Brunson and Divincenzo. I mean, Chris Jenkins is pretty good from most places on the floor, and he can't shoot, but it just wasn't his night. I mean, I good shooters keep shooting, as J.R. Smith said, but you got to wonder at that point.
0: Yeah, and outside of the, those missed threes. On everything else, Brunson and Divincenzo they combined to go nine for eleven. They only missed two other shots inside the three point line, but I mean all those missed threes really really added up, and that's why Nova only shot forty percent as a team when in reality it should have been much higher. They just fell in love with the outside shot too much. Yeah, it's
1: I mean it, it continues to prove I mean, last year we had it with just the multitude of upsets. This year it's slowly, we're starting to see the upsets come back, and it's more showing that these top teams aren't as unbeatable as some people think they are, that they've all got that one fatal weakness.
0: Yeah, and one other upset I wanted to talk about the Florida State just got done with a brutal six-game stretch all against ranked teams. They went 5-1, and one, only lost at North Carolina. Extremely impressive. So, seems seemed like they kind of had a break going to Georgia Tech and they just got taken out behind the woodshed. End up losing by 22 in a game that was really not even that close. So... I, n- I know he won't end up getting any votes because it's obviously gonna be Leonard Hamilton's award if results hold. But I mean, Josh Pastner has got to get a little, slight amount of consideration for Coach of the Year considering this team was not expected to win any conference games and they've now beaten North Carolina, Florida State, and they're 500 in probably the best conference in America.
1: Yeah, and Clemson and North Carolina State aren't even bad losses anymore. Clemson's a pretty good team this year. NC State obviously just beat Duke, so that looks a lot better. But this is a team that in their their ACC losses has scored 57, 50, 61, and 49 points. And in their wins, it's 75, 75, 86, 78. So clearly, if they can just get the offense going, they've got the ability to win these games. Josh Pastner, this is incredible what he's done. It's almost it's not quite to the level of Shaka Smart I would say down in Texas Texas last year but it definitely deserves some consideration to be on that level because I would argue there is less talent at Georgia Tech than there was Texas last year and the fact that he's winning these games against obviously the best I would say the ACC is the best conference in the country right now. Is nothing short of incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, Chaka had talent on that that roster at Texas. Then it all left, and that's kind of why they're struggling this season. But right there, there's uh, there's obviously not no talents because they they've been doing something. But I mean, he is. Like a step above maximizing what little talent there is on this roster, because there's not a lot. the The cupboard's pretty bare. But I mean, a couple a couple of huge wins, and then you see games like losing to Duke by about 50, and then yeah. beating Florida State and North Carolina. So there are there are no easy games in the ACC. Clearly, when you know the team widely expected to. To go winless is four and four, but yeah, I mean that's you almost feel a little bad for Florida State after getting done with that brutal stretch. All they wanted was you know kind of kind of a break going up against a not quite as good team, and yeah, just get absolutely blown out.
1: Smoked, just smoked. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough break for them. Obviously, you got to play every game. You can't just uh, look at paper and say that this is going to be a win. And uh, we learn that every year with the tournament and whatnot. But it's, it's a tough, tough one to swallow if you're a Florida State fan because you did so well and it's pretty much the toughest gauntlet anyone will have in a schedule this season. Uh, I, I guess in that stretch of games, I would argue that the West Virginia at West Virginia at Kentucky home to Baylor is going to be the toughest three game stretch any team will see this year. But yeah, it's a it's a very tough one for Florida State to swallow. And a quick quick shout out to Andy Enfield and USC yeah. for taking out UCLA. That's uh, Pac-12. After you were writing about it, Pac-12 after dark is something to watch this year because they are. Some good teams out there, and USC was one of the last undefeateds. I didn't have a chance to watch it because Eastern Time Zone is the biggest bullshit <laughs> in a long time. But don't even get me started on that.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, USC was kind of missing a real marquee win on that resume. And they should definitely be ranked again next week. And before we get into looking ahead to this weekend's couple of games, we wanted to highlight just announced they're going to do something kind of similar to the the college football playoff show every week, except with the the top four seeds in, in each region. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I, I blogged about it if anyone wants to read. It's uh, letmebefrankblog.com, but it's so ridiculous because it's not college football. First first things first, you can't be college football. You're just not going to get there. People love college basketball because it's different from college football. There are games played every single day. It's not weekly. You can't announce these sort of rankings and expect them to hold any merit even five minutes later. Because once they're announced, there will still be games playing and they can have a direct result on what you decide is the top 16 teams. So once you read those results, they are completely useless. Sure, it might give you a peek inside of how the tournament committee is selecting teams this year, but there are two counter-arguments to that. are One, people genu- generally know the top four seeds in each bracket or the top 16 teams in general going into the tournament. It's fairly obvious at that point. And two, it's. I just lost my thought, but it is something. Go ahead, because I got to do this.
0: I, I know one of the things that you you put in your blog that I agree with is that people are way more concerned with the mashups themselves than just who is the top four seeds in each region. And on top of that, this was especially shocking to me because of how much the college football playoff selection show has been widely panned. As being like completely unnecessary and annoying, and just creating an argument for the sake of argument when ultimately it doesn't have, you know, too much of an impact on the final four teams. It's just fodder for ESPN to yell at each other about. So you look at that, you look at the fan reaction and how much everybody hates it. And you're like, hey, this would be a great idea for basketball. I don't really understand that train of thought, but. It's hopefully only going to be for this season because I'm already getting even more annoyed just, just thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I remember my point, and it's that when college football announces each week their teams and, try and gives tries to give like a, uh, an insight into why they would made the decision, each and every week they contradict themselves. So college basketball is going to give an insight into why they're choosing these teams, and then the bubble teams are going to come around. They're going to make a decision completely against what they had just told everyone a month ago in (laughs) this reveal. And people are going to be like, well, why the hell did you even do that? It's so pointless. But yeah, it's I'm pissed off about it. I'm not very happy. College basketball is such a copycat league in that they want to be so many different things. And they just don't realize a good thing when they've got one and they've got one. I, I would argue that college basketball is as strong as ever right now. In, in multiple different ways, I think it would be better if the NBA made people stay, made kids stay two years. But obviously, that's not an argument that's ever going to have any merit or really make any ground. But it's it's in such a strong state, I think, and it's such a copycat league at this point, just trying to pay, take different things from different leagues that pretty much everyone hates already, and they're they're going to try and implement it themselves. There, I don't. There's just a lot I don't like about this. You can read the rest of the thoughts, but the biggest thing you watch Selection Sunday for are to see your team if they make it, to see the bubble teams, and then to see the matchups. Those are the only three reasons anyone gives a shit. So, the point of giving out the top 16 teams is there is none. It's just to put on put something on TV to get Gumble up there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, Selection Sunday was a great thing. And now it keeps being altered. They they changed it last year to like three hours something, which was absolutely ridiculous. Clearly drawn out, way too long. When honestly, you can get it all done in in half hour or an hour. Um, and and now this just kind of keep moving the process forward in terms of how early you're you're revealing teams. I mean, nobody really cares what the bracket looks like on you know, February fifth, you're just really concerned about selection Sunday and just reveal it all done. I always thought that was kind of what college basketball had as an advantage over football, but
1: you now they they didn't. obviously not. Hopefully hopefully this is gone next yeah. year. I'm sure if uh, Joe Linardi has a say, it'll be gone because he's <laughs> getting absolutely taken out by this. Uh, but yeah, it's last year's was brutal because Seton Hall was the last team to be announced, or second to last team to be announced, <laughs> and we had to sit there the whole time, and then get dominated by Gonzaga, so that was uh, not a good, not a good uh, four-day stretch.
0: Yeah, no, Lunardi just got totally cooked. That's that's absolutely yes, true. <laughs> so looking ahead to Saturday. Uh, Now, it's slightly less exciting because they're both coming off losses, but we've got Kansas at Kentucky. Uh, UCLA has already proven that it's possible to win at Rupp against this iteration of Kentucky basketball. you think Kansas will be able to do the same.
1: Yeah, I think Kansas can win this game, and I think they will. Um, It's Kansas just plays a more complete game, I think, and I I feel they're better on the defensive end. It helps to have a veteran like Frank Mason at the helm, and then you've got just an absolute playmaker with Devontae Graham. Josh Jackson is finally coming into his own. He he had some tough moments in November and December. January's really been his breakout month, and uh, we've been seeing it each and every game he seems to get better. They obviously need some sort of contribution from the bench because you're not going to beat Kentucky with just your starting five. But I think, like we said, the recipe for beating Kentucky is, I'll put it in air quotes, fairly simple in that just make someone besides Malik Monk shoot the ball and you should have an advantage in that game. Obviously that's easier said than done, but we'll see what Kansas does in terms of defending Kentucky. But I would be I would be surprised to see them give Malik Monk much, much space.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of a, a difficult proposition because you know Kansas doesn't play a lot of guys. They're very thin. Really, only go seven guys deep. Sometimes eight uh, if they throw Lightfoot out there. He only played about eight minutes the other night. Um, and I mean, truthfully, that that could be a reason that. This game is a struggle for them. Obviously, the perimeter matchup is what is going to decide the game. Obviously, Kansas is led by the combination of Mason, Devontae Graham back there. Um, you know, Jackson doesn't spend as much time on the perimeter anymore now that they went to kind of a three to four guard look. So he probably won't even be driving, uh, Drawing Monk and be spending a lot of time on Gabriel, but I would think would be in the best interest of self to, you know, maybe go a little bigger for this game and play Jack Smith the three, have him guard Monk. I feel like he could really bother with his length out there in the perimeter. And then I think Kansas would have the best chance to win the game. I think Adebayo and Lucas down low is honestly kind of a wash at this point because Lucas has been playing so well. Um, I mean they both have. Um so I mean it'll it'll come down to the perimeter matchup and if Josh Jackson spends a lot of time out there harassing Monk, then I think Kansas is gonna be able to steal one on the road.
1: Yeah, and Carlton Bragg's gonna play a big factor in this game too, off the bench for Kansas. They just You gotta you gotta have some sort of depth. And obviously, like you said, they're not the deepest team. They don't like to play a deep rotation. But if you've got seven guys that you like to play, you got to get something out of at least one or two of the bench guys. And Braggs, obviously, their go-to off the bench.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he was the guy who lost his his starting spot to to give five more more minutes out there, um, and that's kind of where where Kansas has been thriving. So. Obviously, it would be a huge risk to go back to more of a a two-big-man setup, which I think is the way to best attack Kentucky, but we'll we'll see what Bill Self does.
1: Yeah, we will. should be a good one, though.
0: And then uh, Sunday, the matinee, since there is no football outside of the Pro Bowl, which doesn't really count, We've got uh, Villanova trying to bounce back from their loss to Marquette, and they are hosting Virginia, really the team that has really come into its own. They're losing probably their best player, certainly their best offensive player, Austin Nichols. After about a game, uh, they kind of struggled a little bit. They're they're back, still only lost three times on on the year, just routed Notre Dame in South Bend, so they're just a half game back in their conference, the ACC, which we have talked ad nauseum uh, about how tough of a conference that is. So now it'll be strength on strength, Virginia's now legendary defense under Tony Bennett trying to stop Villanova's extremely potent offense. I would think that Villanova wouldn't have two extremely bad shooting games in a row, but then again, I mean that's exactly what Virginia forces teams to do. So who you liking to miss?
1: Yeah, it's it's really if Villanova can shoot, that's the game right there, because I don't think Virginia has any chance of keeping up with them offensively. Uh, because of that and because of the fact that I'm a massive big East Homer, I'm obvi- obviously going Villanova. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I think they're the best team in the country. They you said it best they I just don't see any way they can have bad shooting nights consecutively, uh, especially at home. Josh Hart is too good to, to you know kind of let that happen to that team. Brunson and company Jay Wright is going to straighten everything out. I would be shocked to see Chris Jenkins shoot six threes again next game, or Divincenzo even take that many shots. But I, I definitely uh, don't see them shooting poorly again. I would be surprised to see them lose this game. But it's, I mean, it's all on Villanova's shooting ability again. And if uh, if they can break break that one game slump, I guess you could say that they should be fine. Because I just don't see. Virginia having the firepower to keep up.
0: And last time out, uh, Virginia, as I mentioned, taking down Notre Dame Irish, pretty on par with Villanova offensively. Virginia held them to mm-hmm. three of eighteen shooting from behind the arc. Um, I mean, that's, that's where Tony Bennett's made his money, obviously, very structured around defense. London Parentes has kind of taken the reins on offense a little bit more after that that skid. Um, losing the last second to Florida State and then in overtime at Pitt, and Virginia's kind of righted the ship in that regard. But I don't know if they're going to have enough on the road to to knock off Villanova right after a loss. I, I don't know. This is going to be pay, played at Virginia's pace. I think this will be in the 60s. But I having a very hard time seeing Villanova lose twice in
1: a row. Yeah, I I definitely agree on pace. I don't see Villanova really picking it up too much. They aren't really a play-it-quick kind of team. They like to slow it down a little bit. They run great offensive sets and really just find the open shot well. They space the floor really well. Obviously, it's going to be tough to do against such a Dynamite defensive team in Virginia but it's definitely going to be in the 60s if Nova hits 70 I see literally no way in hell they could lose this game
0: okay so not really any good conference games this weekend a couple of very late season uh, non-conference ones so it'll be it'll be another fun week and then if all goes well you'll hopefully see Gonzaga as your new number one on Monday.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see if uh, if it is. We know you'll be celebrating. I, I will be. I will be extremely
0: outraged if they are not, because like everybody else lost.
1: Yeah, this is. We're playing spoilers right now. Obviously, you're going to have them as your number one in next week's yeah. poll.
0: I'm honestly surprised I haven't yet already. But.
1: <laughs> Just publish it already. Yeah. Uh, final words. And that is it. Pretty
0: much. Let's go Zags.